Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring 20s Podcast. Today, we have on returning guest, Dr. Batsheva Marcus. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Batsheva Marcus was on episode 131, where we talked all about sex and her book, Sex Points. She is a certified sex therapist. She is the co-founder and former clinical director of the largest independent women's sexual health center in the country. She has a PhD in human sexuality, master's in public health, master's in social work, master's in Jewish study, and is the author of Sex Points, which like I said, we talk deeply about in episode 131. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please go check it out after this episode or before. Pause this one, go there, come back to this one uh, because this episode is going to be a little bit different than that one. But Dr. Bacheva, thank you so much for joining us again. We're so excited to have you. And I am so excited to be here because you guys are the best. Dr. Batsheva is the best. She really is. She's so incredible. Um, please, if you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. It's so amazing. Today, we are doing things a little bit differently. We took questions from our, you guys, our audience um, and our friends. We had people write into us about their sex questions, questions revolving physiology, psychology, all of those different fun things. And we're, we picked some of our favorites and we're just going to go through them one by one and pick Dr. Batsheva's brain because she's so incredible and hopefully help us out in the areas that we're struggling in our sex lives. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Before we get into all of the fun sex questions, for anybody who hasn't heard episode 131 or doesn't know you, Dr. Batsheva, please introduce yourself. Tell us just a little bit about you, where you're from, if you don't mind saying how old you are because it's Roaring Twenties, and then any anything that's been going on with you since we've last seen you. Okay, um, so I'm Batsheva Marcus. Bacheva is my first name. People always mix that up because it's two words. <laughs> so everybody's always messing it up, but it's Bacheva Marcus. And I um, I was, as you said, the clinical director of the largest sexual health center in the country for women um, for 25 years. I founded it. And one of the things that was so important about it and what's so important to me is that it really addressed women's sexual health from both the physiological, like what's happening in your body, your birth control pills, your tight muscles, your pain, right? Like what's happening in your body and what was happening in your head, any sense mm. of shame or discomfort or feeling funny about your body or your relationship. If you merge those two things, I am of the extreme believer that you can have a fabulous sex life. And it was on that basis that I wrote the book Sex Points because I just, people, not everybody could come to the clinic. So that was, you know, why I wrote the book. I see patients every single day. I see them privately. We talk about problems with arousal, problems with getting turned on, problems with having orgasms. Um, we talk about pain issues. We talk about low desire issues. So most women, you know, the reality is we think everybody's walking around with a fabulous sex life, but the truth is that everybody struggles to some degree with their sex life. We all know that, right? You struggle when you're learning how to have sex, you mm. struggle about what's normal and what's okay. Mm. 
then, you know, you may change, like you may go on birth control, like I said before, and that might have significant impact. So then you get into a relationship and they want to have a certain kind of sex or you don't want to have a certain kind of sex and you got to deal with all of those things. We live in a world that's really complicated and I am so passionate about helping women of every age, size, demographic have a fabulous sex life. So that is who I am. I think you went through all my degrees. I did. Yeah, it is a little crazy, (laughs) but I will add that my PhD thesis was on vibrator use with women. It was one of the first pieces of research that was ever done on vibrators with women. And, um, you know, since then they've done much more research, but I'm super proud of that. And I, you know, love that people sometimes call me the vibrator queen because I'm a huge fan of vibrators, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yes, we have a vibrator question in here. Okay. So let's maybe dive into, is that enough information? Was that too much information? Never too much. That was amazing. Dr. Bruchover, you are so incredible. I'm so inspired by you. And last time you were here, I just felt so inspired. And I'm so, so grateful to have you back. And it's funny what you were just saying, because even Brenda and I were just having, we recorded an episode like two weeks ago where we were like, our sex life feels very different than it did last time Dr. Batsheva was on the show. And it's just interesting how, you know, not like our age hasn't changed much. We've only, you know, that was maybe like eight months ago, but that we really go through waves and different seasons of your life is going to bring different things in your sex life. So there's always something to like learn and discover. Oh my God, your body is always changing. Your work situation is always changing. Your relationship's always changing. You know, the weather is changing. Like, mm. you know, you're, the medications you're on are changing. Everything is changing around you and everything impacts on your sex life. So yeah, I'm so glad you realized that because I feel like that for so many people, that is such a hard lesson to learn. Mm-hmm. Like people think, oh, I learned how to have sex and then I have sex that way for the rest of my life. But like right. nothing could be further from the truth. And that often is what throws people off because- they feel like as soon as there's like a bump in the road or something's not working or their partner's erection gets lost or their partner's watching porn or all of a sudden, like everything crumbles. But Mm. if you go into your sex life, knowing that's going to change, I think we may have spoken about this last time. If you go into your sex life, kind of expecting there to be changes all the time, it just makes you much more sort of flexible and able to weather all kinds of ups and downs in your sex life. Yeah. And that is such, such a good point. And it's, it's crazy because me and Julia had such a long, like almost unexpected conversation about it, because I think, you know, we talk about this topic and we want to be vulnerable and we want to be open and like exciting and appeal. Um, but it's, we just both kind of said, took such a different perspective on the conversation itself. Even as we were starting to think about questions we might ask you or our friends. And as you see over here, come here, show, show Dr. Bachelor who you are. Come on. Um, <laughs> and I got a new puppy, for example, and Aww. that changes your sex life. And that just, oh my gosh, like it, it's so funny because, you know, my, I love my relationship. I'm so happy with my partner. And it's just interesting how different little demands that we have change so much about the way that like our lifestyles go. And it's so easy to take that personally, right. Or attribute it to something deeper being wrong, but it's just really so much more about learning how those things ebb and flow and how we can adapt. But Julia and I had such a I guess heart to heart on the topic too, because we were like, I almost feel like I'm supposed to say something different, but I think that it's actually really powerful for us to share this perspective with our listeners, because I'm like, Julia, you and I, a year ago, we were buying lingerie every week. We were sending each other things to each other's houses. And I'm like, this time, we're like, who's got time time, for it? (laughs) I know we're like now, like, honestly, we're not. And there shouldn't be shame necessarily in that. Of course, we want to put attention towards um, our partners and our people and ourselves, but 
I, I hope that it does make other people feel like they're not alone because they're not having this like wild portion period of their life right now. <laughs> right. And I will say that I have very strong feelings about not letting your dog on your bed in your bedroom Ooh. when you're having sex. So I don't know how Brenda feels about that, but I feel like I've seen too many clients who are like, they didn't even realize it, but their dog in the bedroom, like started whining when they started having sex or oh yeah, kind of jumped up and they made themselves conscious. And I'm like, you need to have some boundaries with your pets. Oh yeah. Same way you have oh, boundaries with your me. children. It, no, That's exactly. And so such a good point. It is. And for me, I don't know. It's, um, maybe I'm strange, but I'm like, I feel weird. I like don't want her to be around in those situations. I'm like, it literally feels like, Ugh. so like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll put you a train you in the crate during this time. <laughs> yes. Yes. It feels right. It feels to people a little bit like somebody, like their kid is watching them. I totally, right. yes. And so I, I am a big believer in crates for sex. Like the same way. I think you need to have a lock on your door. If you're a young parent, yeah. um, you need to have some boundaries with your pets. So yeah. I figured I'd just throw that in there, Brenda. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Brenda, let's get into these questions. You want to kick it off? Let's do it. Yes. Um, so first off, how do we empower people to just feel more comfortable talking about sex? And this goes in the periods where they're having the wildest, most fulfilling time, but also maybe when they're not. Um, because I think that on both ends of the spectrum, there can be crickets when the topic is brought up. So our friends yeah. weren't not shy. Um, they were pretty open because we've kind of cultivated that type of environment. But beyond that, when we were asking questions to, to others, it, you know, they didn't want to ask too much. I think people the questions scared. didn't flow as easily as other topics for people yeah. to come in with their questions for you. So are you asking, because I think these are two separate questions that I want to clarify. Are you mm -hmm. asking, how do you make people more comfortable talking about sex in general? Mm -hmm. Like in this environment, like when you say, give us your sex questions, or is it, how do you talk about sex with your partner, which you feel like should be super easy. Cause after all you're having sex with your partner and yet somehow talking about sex mm. can be cringy itself. I think, I you think it was number former. one, but I think we should answer both of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So number one, the way to get more comfortable talking about sex is to talk about sex. That is the only way to get more comfortable talking about sex. And um, I know that's really hard for people. And I'm, I feel like half my life's work is telling people you need to practice. The only way to practice is to talk about sex. And so I do this a lot, for example, with parents, right? Because what parents aren't saying to their kids is having a message too, mm. right? You need to talk about sex. And I think that's true with your friends as well. So I'll say to parents, First, you can just practice by yourself. It sounds so hokey, but just when you're in the shower, say things like penis, vagina, masturbate, like use those words, just say them out loud. Yeah. You know, we, 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 you know how languages, I don't know about you guys speak another language, but you can get really good where you understand another language It's called a passive language mm -hmm. as opposed to active language where you actually can talk the language really comfortably, mm -hmm. right? Those are actually slightly different skills. And I think people say, oh, I'm really comfortable talking about sex. I see this with therapists. Oh my God, all the time, which is frightening to me, right? Therapists are like, I'm totally comfortable talking about sex. And what they mean is if a patient brings up sex, they don't jump under the table and hide. That's what they mean, right? But they are not necessarily comfortable saying, so how's your sex life? And does that mean that he went down on you? Like they are not necessarily comfortable 
asking questions and using the language. And I think that that is true about many of us, right? We're, we think of ourselves as comfortable because we see sex all around us in the movies and in the TV shows and in the billboards, right? But somehow bringing up and saying those words feels very different. It's a, yes. just a different skill. It's yes. still like anything else. And so what I would say is start practicing in the shower, practice yourself in the mirror. Just say, oh, hello, vulva. It's like, you know, yeah. I, I, seriously talk about, you know, just, and use whatever words feel comfortable to you mm. in terms of, you know, talking to yourself and then find a friend or two or three and say, like, I'm practicing talking about sex because I want to be able to talk about sex. And the way that you're going to make other people comfortable talking about sex is if you talk about sex, you know, people will often say to me, I don't understand how somebody walks into your office and within half an hour or 45 minutes or 15 minutes or 10 minutes of meeting you, they're spilling out their deep, dark sexual secrets. And I'm like, because for me, it is as so easy to talk about this. It's like talking about your ears or your eyes or your nose, you know? And so people feel super comfortable telling me, you know, about their problems with orgasm or, you know, whether the guy's penis is too big or too small or the woman's vagina, they don't, they're nervous about how they smell, all those things, right? They're not nervous about it because they, they, they get the vibes from me and how comfortable I am. So, yes. so I think everybody can practice to be more comfortable and we can do our friends a big favor by talking about it more and saying when we're feeling uncomfortable, owning it is fine. Like, mm-hmm. listen, guys, I'm talking about sex now. I really want us to be able to talk about sex. I feel a little funny about it, but you know, here, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Does that, does that answer oh, that question? Yeah, that's amazing. I think like what you said about practice using the vocabulary, because I think sometimes when we do talk about sex in our friendships, I know for me and Brenda personally, like we're pretty vulnerable and open, but like we'll be kind of vague a lot of the time. Like we'll be super vague and like, yes, not use like real vocab. Yes. Words. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said that, Julia, because that is so, uh, you know, it's so funny. It's like, um, I'll give you a story, which I think is hysterical years ago when I was working with an ultra Orthodox Jewish client. So mm-hmm. they really have trouble with language. And so I said, I was, and I wasn't as good at what I was doing as I am now. This is, I had to be 20 years ago. And I said to one of them, does he use his mouth on you? Mm-hmm. Right. Meaning, does he go down on you? Does he use his mouth? Like, right. Does he give you oral sex? Does he put his mouth on your vulva? And she said, oh, yes. And I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting because I didn't expect that answer. And then after a few minutes of talking, it, it turned out that she meant he kisses her. He uses his mouth on her. It was my fault. It was 100% my fault. I did not say, does he use his mouth on your vulva? Right. You know what I'm does right. he use his tongue on your labia? Like I didn't, you know, or show her a picture and say, does he use his mouth on this area? Right? Like, yes. so the vagueness is so, and the, and, and this is, I have with parents also, when you talk very generally, like you don't say, you know, did you get your period? Is there a lot of blood? You know, do you, does it hurt? You know, you just say, well, did it start? Do you know what I mean? Like right. you have the secondary messages that it's not okay to talk about this stuff, right? Exactly. And for some reason we feel like if it's more vague, it's more like comfortable or conducive, but it actually usually ends up being confusing totally. because no one really knows what anybody's talking about. Right. No, it's a hundred percent true. I, I see that all the time. It's, it's hysterical. Like, you know, was it, did you guys do it? Was it good? What does that mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, right. did you have intercourse? Did you have oral sex? Did you have anal sex? You know, like what, what happened last night? You know, and something that I learned from you last time we talked is even as simple. And you would think that like someone who like me, 
me and Brenda who talk about this stuff and you weren't our first sex therapist on the show, but like someone, people who talk about this stuff, like I didn't even really think that when I refer to sex, I have to say whether I'm talking about when I'm, when I'm saying penetration or intercourse, like, and it's so true. And then after we spoke about that, I was like, oh my God, yeah, that makes so much sense because sex can be so many different things. And so much of the time we're just saying sex and we're not actually saying what we're really talking about. Julia, I love you. I want to take that little statement. I want to put it on a poster. That's (laughs) true. It's true. It's definitely true. Yeah. And I really learned that from you last time. So let's start using our vocabulary words. That's the takeaway from that one. And then Dr. Brechev, what were you going to say about talking about it with your partner? Oh, so that's a very different concern because what happens is ironically, sometimes as you get more comfortable with somebody and you're with somebody with longer, it's harder to talk about your sex life. Why is that? So it's because the relationship tends to morph into more of a like comfortable space and eroticism Mm. lives in the discomfort, right? So honestly, I often like people say, well, I don't want to try this new thing because it makes me super kind of uncomfortable. And I'm like, uncomfortable is great when it comes to Mm. long-term sex life. That those butterflies in your stomach, they didn't come there because you were super comfortable in your flannel pajamas, right? Like those butterflies came because you were a little nervous and a little Mm. unsure and you didn't know Mm. what was going to be happening. So that is why as you, we trade the eroticism in relationships sometimes for the comfort. And I, I want to say to you, you need to like embrace both and realize that it's going to be uncomfortable. You, you're living with this person or you're with this person for a long time. And you're like, well, it shouldn't be uncomfortable. I'm like, yes, it should. Because if it's uncomfortable, you're doing something right when it comes to sex. So I want, so I want to say that. And two, I often feel like talking when you're not necessarily facing the person, like if you're driving in the car and not when you're having sex, I would say like, not when you, when you're having sex, you want to be giving feedback on that feels good or it doesn't feel good or whatever, do this, do that, whatever mm-hmm. that, but in terms of a bigger conversation, like I really want to try rough sex. I want you to try to tie me up or I hate it when we do rough sex. I want you to put rose petals on my bed or like, could you kiss my neck more? Like th- those things. Those are great conversations to have when you're not in bed with the person where it doesn't Mm -hmm. come across like criticism, Mm -hmm. where it's just a general. And I find that those conversations are best had when you're not facing the person or when it's dark in the room, it just makes it easier. So those are two, you know, like in the, let's say the car, when you're cooking breakfast or something where like, you could say like, I really want to talk to you about our sex life. Like, I love you. And I'm wondering if we could X or I want to use my vibrator or whatever it is you want to, you want to do. So I think that's a little bit of a different issue. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. I think people get really, really scared of offending someone or making them not feel like they're enough. Cause I think it's really easy to take, I'm sure on, on the receiving end of that too, like it's easy to potentially take something like that personally, if there's something wrong, when I think that there's something to be said about just it's different. And sometimes you just don't know until you know, or don't know until you try and you might try and hate it, or you might try and it might, you know, discover something totally different. So I think those very general statements that you keep sharing with us, whether it's like, it's going to ebb and flow or um, like having these conversations are normal or having feedback doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong or what you're doing isn't enough. It's just a different, I guess, curiosity um, of embracing within that ebb and flow. So I feel like all of that is so helpful. And I know yeah, those are really good tangible tips about like how to, with, you know, like, it, the darkness or the cooking. It's like, cause I think people just don't even know where to start. You know, sometimes I have women who've been married for, I don't know, 10 years or 20 years, and which probably sounds like forever to you. Um, by the way, I'm 61. I think I was supposed to say that in my introduction oh, and I forgot. Okay, okay. I'm 61. I'm the grandma. I'm Instagramma is what I am. Um, <laughs> and so, she's amazing at Instagram, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, um, but one of the things I, I hear sometimes is women say something like, 
you know, we've been married for like 10 years or 15 years. And like, now I'm going to tell him I want to be tied up. He's going to look at me and think like, mm. who the hell is this person that I married? Like what's been That's going on? Like, have I been yeah. married to like, is this been a fake for the last, like, and I'm like, no, like you just, we all change. We want to try new things. So, but it's scary to say to the person, oh, there may be another part of me that you haven't seen yet. Mm. That's also exciting and erotic. Do you know what I mean? So like, yeah. So I, I just, I want to say again, if it's scary, that's fine. Embrace the, the scariness of it. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that instead of there being something negative about this, like unknown portion of your portion that you want to explore that it's actually exciting and something really cool to, to jump into. I love yeah. that perspective. This next um, question kind of goes off that. So I want to ask this yeah. one next because it's like a similar vein, but this question is, it's from a female it says, I have a feeling my boyfriend has sex fantasies. He wants to try, but is too shy to share them with me or doesn't know how to bring them up. I don't have many fantasies myself, but would love to hear his and explore some with him. How do I get him to share his fantasies with me, even though I don't have anything to share with him to start off the conversation? So I don't think you need to have your own fantasies to start the conversation. I think you can, she said it so beautifully to you. I find it hard to believe she couldn't say it to him as in, sweetie, I love you. And our sex life is great. And I have a feeling that you have some fantasies that you're feeling uncomfortable sharing with me. Mm. This is a good one to do at, in the dark at night. And she could say to him, why don't you write them down and leave them under my pillow? Or whisper oh, I them in my love ear. that. Right? Ooh, that's fun. Totally. Totally. It sounds like she is a hundred percent. Like, it sounds like he, he may need some coaxing. She could even, you know, and, and as, as a therapist, I'll tell you one of our therapist tricks, which when, when somebody's having trouble articulating something, we'll give them options. So she could say, are you having fantasies about, you know, me tying you up? Are you having fantasies about me dressing up in a policewoman costume? Are you like, if she puts it, it just makes it easier sometimes for them to say, well, no, actually it's the fire woman I really want. I want you to climb in the window just or whatever. Just kind of like starts that with juices flow. Right. And then I'm going to say, when she says she doesn't have fantasies, I'd be like, come on, really girl? Like you could do this. Like yeah. maybe you don't have them spontaneously, but you could completely make up fantasies. Like mm. that's a fascinating question. Why is she saying, I don't have fantasies? What mm. Nobody doesn't have fantasies, right? You can not have paid attention to them. You could not have thought about it. But if you think about it and you think about what would be super fun and hot for you, you know, and that doesn't have to be dressing up in, you know, a Princess Leah costume or whatever. It could also just be having somebody kiss you from the tip of your toes all the way to your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, like right. and take 10 minutes to do that. Like all of us have some kind of fantasies if we allow ourselves to explore them. Mm-hmm. So I would say she should spend some time doing that make, you know, what's the difference? Like make something up. What does that mean? A fantasy is something you're making up. So make up something that you think would be fun if you want to share that with him. But then for sure, if you invite them to give you your fantasies and invite them to whisper them to you in the dark, to write them down for you, to send you an email, you know, there's any million ways to share fantasies. Right. And then I think that could be super, super helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And I love that you said too, that they don't have to be this like complex, intense thing. Like I think sometimes too, probably I can imagine because when I first read it with your response, I was like, huh, maybe what she means is she doesn't feel like it's something that's like worth describing as a fantasy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like it doesn't have to be that, that either. Like it can just be come into the shower with me when I'm taking a shower, like, you know, surprise me in the shower. Like 
fantasies could be, you know, some people have fantasies of smells, perfumes. Do you know what I mean? Like fantasies are what we, you know, did I give you my speech about fantasies the last time I was on? I don't think you did. I we talked think, about fantasies, but I don't, I don't think you could give us a speech. Let's well, if, if I, if I said this to you again, then I apologize that I'm repeating myself. But no, well, it I must be like, important. Yes. I feel like the English language really has a paucity of language when it comes to the word fantasy. Like what we, we say fantasy and we could mean, we could mean, I have a fantasy of having sex on the beach or in the water with somebody. Well, I could actually do that fantasy, right? That's something I would like to try sometime, right? Mm. That is very different than if I said, like, I want to have a fantasy of a pirate taking me on a pirate ship and, you know, carrying me off and taking me in his jewel room, right? That's that's a totally different kind of fantasy. That's yeah. not happening, right? That's something that has to live in my head, right? Right, right, right. And- and then there's the fantasy that I want to share, for example, because I want to talk about it and it's fun to, you know, it's titillating and fun to talk about. And then there's fantasy that I want to just keep totally private in my own head. Yeah. Those are just some examples of, and we use the same word for all of them, right? Right. Which is terrible because like, then somebody says, well, I don't have fantasies. Well, of course you have fantasies. It's just exactly what you're saying, Julia. We have this outrageous assumption that a fantasy has to be this like, complex storyline. Well, that's ridiculous. It doesn't have to be that. It could be something you want to try. It could be something you don't want. Yeah, we need more words. Again, for fantasy, right. it's, again, it's kind of back to the vocabulary thing like we were talking about. Yeah. So yep. interesting. People need to explain things more of what they want. But so to that, to that questioner, you work on your fantasies, girl, and you invite him, if it's a him, to give you your fantasy, to give him your fantasies in any way, shape or form that makes sense to him to do it. Yeah. Oh, love I it. love that. Love but he's it. very lucky. He's very lucky to have somebody who really wants to explore his fantasies with him. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So you go, girl. You go, That's girl. Right. <laughs> this next one is actually from a male. So um, the question is, why am I on such a cold streak? I usually have an easy time meeting and hooking up with girls, but lately it doesn't seem to be happening. Is there some psychology behind this that I'm unaware of? Is it confidence, timing, or are people my age looking for something different than I am? So he's saying, you know, I usually have an easy time with hookups, finding people to hook up with. And now I'm not finding people to hook up with is what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing. Right. You know, that's the kind of question that's very hard to answer from a question because, you know, if I was talking to him, I'd want to find out like, is it because on some level he's actually looking for something a little different now? Like maybe he's being a little bit more like choosy about who he's hooking up with, or maybe he's putting out a vibe of something that makes people kind of uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and, and maybe not, and maybe it's just, you know, people do have slower streaks in their lives. My experience usually is that, um, you know, it could be, he's getting older and the women that he's hooking up with want something more than just quick hookups. I don't know. You know what I mean? We don't really have too much information here. But I would wonder from his question if he's feeling insecure, because that's what I'm hearing. He's feeling like something's going on with me and it doesn't feel right. Mm. And maybe it's because it's time for him to move on for different kinds of sexual relationships. I I don't know. And I would say to him, this might be a time you want to reach out to a therapist and just have a few sessions to sort of clarify what it is you want and what it is you need, because you want, you want to feel happy and fulfilled. And there's something about that question that feels wistful to me and a little sad. So Right. No, I, 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 I agree. I do. And I, and I think that it's an interesting, I mean, I'm not sure how old actually this listener is, but I, I think that in terms of just like relating to our twenties, I do think that there is a shift. Um, 
between like the earlier half of your 20s versus mm-hmm. the later half because we've even seen it in our girlfriends like there were in the earlier half of our 20s they're like oh I don't care I don't need a long-term relationship and now we even see it in our girlfriends too that they're like no if somebody even puts out a vibe of any sort that they want that they don't want to even um like pursue or consider something a little bit more serious then I'm not interested so that's actually a really good point to bring about not to say that things can't change and whatnot but I do think that depending on where people are or what they're kind of looking for for their future um, it does kind of play a difference in how they, they do or don't communicate with people or give them time. Right. I know. I think that's right. Look, there's always going to be some people who want to have sex with zero strings attached. Right. Um, but I do think as women get older, as people get older, not just women, I think as people get older, they start to value sort of sex that has some level of connection to it Mm. and not everybody, but, um, I think that I think that's what you're saying, Brenda. And I think that is, you know, I you know I feel like it's really important for people to be honest with themselves about that. I'll also add, you know, hookup sex is usually not great sex. It just isn't great sex. You know, I mean, it, and this is not a value judgment. This is just yeah. sex is not good, and it's not great for men, but it's really not great for women. Like when you look at the statistics of the number of women who orgasm mm. during hookup sex, it's tiny comparatively. Yeah. So, um, so I think Brenda kind of, you're right that as yeah. people get older, they're like, I deserve to have good sex and good sex yeah. means having some kind of, some kind of relationship it doesn't have to be permanent with this right. person. Right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think that it's, it's interesting that there's like different stigmas too, depending on where you are. Cause I think there is a phase where kind of like the way this question started was like, I, this used to come easily to me to just, you know, hook up with people at certain points and it's, it's kind of getting down on himself. Right. Like a judgment. Himself. Yeah. Right. Whereas like, I do think that down, like there's this other side where it's like, oh, well, if you do that too much, then you're, you're going too far. Or it's too often. So there's just all these different ends of the spectrum. So many judgments, I think societally, but also towards ourselves or each other. So that's. Yeah. Well, I don't, he shouldn't get down on himself and he shouldn't blame himself, but he may want to set up an appointment with somebody to explore this a little bit more. Absolutely. And you know, us over here, we are big proponents of all sorts of therapy. So empowering that all the time. Okay. Next question from a female. Um, Many times after orgasming, penetration feels uncomfortable, sometimes even slightly painful, but I want to be able to keep going until my partner finishes. Why does this happen? Is there anything I can do from to stop it from feeling uncomfortable post orgasm? Love that question. You know what? I'm actually going to, I'm going to write that question down because. um, Okay. And I'm going to be honest. This is my question. (laughs) So you can ask any follow-ups. I love that question because, um, because I think it's common and I'm going to do, I'm going to do some Instagramming on this or TikToking on this. Um, okay. Okay. So let me talk about this. This is what happens when you have an orgasm, your nerves are, there's a lot of, a lot of stimulations coming into your nerves. Your blood is coming into the vaginal vulvar area, a lot of nerve stimulation. And then when there's too much, the nerves shoot off and you have an orgasm. There's also for many women, not all women, contractions, either uterine contractions or vaginal contractions that are happening, right? So you're a little squeezing going on, right? For some women, and I do not know why, and there's no research out there as far as I know, for some women, it opens them up. And for some women, it tightens them. Okay. So you of the questioning have, you hit the jackpot in terms of your your, your, um, your vagina tightens up, like the muscles tighten up. So, uh, you know, 
that is what's happening. And what's fascinating about it is I have some women who can't have intercourse comfortably until after they've had an orgasm because their muscles loosen up. Oh, that's so interesting. Isn't that interesting? Right. I know yes. this goes back to the heart of all of us are different and our yes. orgasms are all different. For right. some women, the ones who start with really tight muscles often, that orgasm loosens up their muscles, right? So, okay. So, so what do you do is the question, yeah. right? So the first question, and this would be a follow-up question is it hurts you. Does it also hurt your partner? Like you have a death grip on him? No, I think okay. he's just fine. He's okay. And I guess the next question I would ask is, are you using lube? No, not usually. Okay. So in a lot of cases, you're not using lube because you don't really need to, because you're not that wet. But if you're getting tighter, the wetness might help with the friction, right? Mm -hmm. So it might be worth using lube and seeing if that helps. Yes. And then the other thing is don't have an orgasm until he's done. I know it's hard sometimes. I'm in the lucky boat. I was like, you're the lucky 30% who have an orgasm. Yes. I'm in the very lucky boat that it's not hard for me. Clearly. And you have an orgasm from intercourse. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say um, you need to, okay. I have a couple of suggestions. Actually, this is, I love this question so much. I can tell you. Okay. I think you, one of the things you may want to do, and it's going to sound so counterintuitive, you may want to dilate. Do you, have you ever heard me talk about dilating for people who have vaginismus and vaginal pain? Yes, but I know very little. Okay. So women who have vaginal pain because their muscles are too tight, and seriously, we could do an entire episode on this. And yeah. it actually might be worth your talking about it because this is mega issue for girls in their twenties. Um, so, which I assume is your predominant, um, yes. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, So when the muscles are tight, what we do is we use vaginal dilators. They're like sticks. They're like plastic sticks and they come in different diameters and slowly, but surely you get larger and larger until you can comfortably get a penis in there. You just insert it. You let the muscles relax around it. So what you may want to do is start using a bigger one, one that's bigger than your partner and use it every day for a while until your muscle starts learning. Cause your, your vagina is not a hole, right? Your vagina is like a potential space. It's like a turtleneck sweater. You know, you push your head through the turtleneck sweater mm-hmm. and it opens when it comes in. So the more flexible the muscles are, the easier it's going to be. Yours are clearly sort of tensing. Mm-hmm. So, right. They're, yep. You're having an orgasm. Good for you. It probably feels great. And then they're they're clenching, they're tensing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly. tensing so hard because I've heard people who they're tense so hard. It's like a death grip on the penis. Right. It hurts the penis. It's just so like, that's, you, it's kind of like soreness, you know, like when you go to like, after like the gym, like, yes, it's like a yes. soreness kind of feeling. Yes. So it's some combination of the muscles tightening up and, or creating more friction. Mm-hmm. So if it's creating more friction, more lube should help with that. And if you want to help the muscles, I would say you dilate for a week or two with the larger, get a dilator. You can look up dilators, measure your partner's penis. I'm sure he's going to love that. Measure <laughs> get dilators that are a little bit his size and bigger and start using them. So see if you can get your muscles used to relaxing around a bigger size. Interesting. And, um, and yeah. And then if you cannot have an orgasm until after he comes, that's the best option. But I know you've thought of that one. That one's not a genius for my end. So, um, <laughs> So I love the question. And if you're somebody who's listening, who's like, oh my God, I need to have an orgasm to loosen up. You're normal too. Like yeah. there's just, there's just so many different reactions. So does so that kind of answer the question? Absolutely. So, so interesting. And I, and I never thought about it being the opposite way that someone might 
need that in order to loosen up. Like that's so interesting. And like you said, it's just going back to like all of our bodies are so different and what everybody needs is going to be different from somebody else and no, no shame. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know, and it's, it is really interesting because then I get questions like, oh my God, I always have some orgasm before he comes in. How do I manage to do that? But Java, like, yeah, but I would definitely try the lube thing. I, yeah. I feel like women in their twenties often feel like they shouldn't need lube. Like somehow mm-hmm. they shouldn't need lube that there's something wrong with them if they need lube, but you know, lube is just useful and helpful to a lot of people. So yeah. I would yeah. start with that. That might solve your problem quite easily. And you, and I you know, for, a, for a while. Also, yeah, right? just just haven't been lately, and then I don't yeah. like not for any reason or not. Just, right. just haven't really been thinking about it much. But yeah, no, and even if like yeah. maybe not, even if we didn't start with it, but then introducing it like at that point, right? right. And you can put it inside, or you can put it on his penis, however you want. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna try that. Let me know how it goes. I will. Okay. And is this a silly question? Maybe maybe it's not, or maybe you answered it with the was dilators how, how like long do you I know you said for a week but like in terms of like if you're doing it also daily, does it hurt yeah okay. I have so many <laughs> yeah about dilators so they're there you can order them online I would say um you want to get if possible the medical grade do not spend a lot of money on them but you, for most people it doesn't hurt at all like for women who have vaginismus or tight muscles it could hurt a lot especially the first one is like the width of my pinky and oh, getting wow. that in is sometimes super scary and hurts but you guys would start with ones that were much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, usually I'd say leave them in for about 10 minutes okay. Um, okay. or 15 minutes you can watch television with them in. Um, the one that is going to stretch you is going to hurt a little, but mm-hmm. not shouldn't kill you, but it should feel like, oh, that's a little uncomfortable going in. Mm-hmm. And then you wait until your body relaxed around it, usually five or 10 minutes. And then you start moving it around again. It might feel tight. Think about the best way to think about it is if you were learning to do a split and, you know, you wouldn't shove yourself down to the floor because you'd right. like, you would every day you'd push yourself a little bit more and it would be a little uncomfortable as you push down. It would mm-hmm. hurt a little bit. And that's mm-hmm. what you're doing with these dilators. You're putting them in. I often will say like, let's say, you know, they come in small, small plus, medium, medium plus like that. That If you start, you guys, let's say start with a medium or medium plus, and then you make it a large or a large plus, you'd start with whatever one is not uncomfortable. Put that in for a minute or two, move it around, then get the next size up. It goes in, you're like, ah, that was a little cringy. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to relax around it for five or 10 minutes. I'm going to move it around. It's a little uncomfortable. But after a few days of that, you go up to the next size. Interesting. Wow. I think a lot of people are going to really value that information because I don't think most people know about that. I think that is incredibly helpful for anybody who's having even small amounts of pain. So let me just say this in case it's not clear you should not be having pain with intercourse. Like, I don't know. You should not be having pain with the intercourse. Everybody repeat after me. We should not be having, not pain, having pain, pain with, intercourse. with intercourse. Okay. So dilators, and I have it, I have a whole section on it in my book. So, you know, yes. if people want more information. They can absolutely grab it there, but you know what I may, I'll do some posts on that on Instagram. Also. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And then, so we're, we're obviously talking about a different type of discomfort, but with vaginal pain. So this is one of the other questions kind of along the same vein. And if it's a same answer, amazing. Um, but this question was, I have vaginal pain during sex and I don't know why, but I'm embarrassed to bring it up to anyone. I'm worried if I tell my gynecologist or primary doctor that, that it will just brush under the rug, where do I start? Oh my God. She's going to make me cry. Okay. So 
you could buy my book because I talk a lot about that. You should she not does. be having pain if that was not clear. And you should, yes, I hope if you go to a gynecologist and she brushes it under the rug, that's a problem with her because it means she just doesn't know how to treat it. Vaginal pain is 100% treatable. You should feel comfortable talking about it. Even just, I think just honestly, even following my Instagram should be helpful mm -hmm. to you. Um, there's a couple of different conditions that cause pain. One is vaginismus, which we just talked about for very briefly, but it's very, very common. Like one out of 10 women have it. It's tight muscles. Um, and it's so unbelievably treatable. I can't, it's like, yeah. it makes me die that women are like in living pain. like that. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, you know, even in a virtual session with somebody, I can walk them through like how to deal with it. So mm. that vaginismus is super easy to treat. Then there's vulvodynia or vestibulodynia or vulvar vestibulodynia. There's a couple other issues that come up that have to do with um, either the nerve endings being overactive or sometimes it's hormonal because of the birth control you're on or just other hormonal changes that you've got. So those are a little more complicated. Um, I did actually, as we're talking about it, I did a class, um, like a, a, a there's a, there's an app called MJoy, like enjoy, but with an M, MJoy. And I did a class for them, like a, a collection for them. It's like, I don't know, it's like six sessions of five minutes each or something. One is on pain and one is on vaginismus. Cool. And you can just, you know, um, I have, if you go to my, if you go to Dr. Bacheva and go to my link in bio, there is a link to MJoy and you can just join and listen. They have a lot of great classes, not just cool, mine. Cool. They have a lot of great classes, but I did one on vaginismus and I did one on, um, on, um, general vaginal pain. So sweetheart, if you're listening to these answers, you should not feel uncomfortable going to your doctor. Um, but there are a lot of people with a lot of answers out there. So if your doctor doesn't have the answer, then you make sure that you find the answer, either use my book or yeah, there's definitely ways to get, to get help. Yeah. I, I actually know a, a lot of women who have expressed that they've felt pain during sex at one point or another, or even just like not during sex, just during the day. Like, and I, I just also want to second Dr. Bacheva for people to feel empowered to talk about your, to talk to that, about that with your doctors or seek out resources like Dr. Bacheva's classes and her book, because no one should be living like that. And it's, it's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And like Dr. Bacheva said, so many of these problems are so fixable. They I think are. people are scared that maybe they'll get an answer they don't want. Um, so that's a great, that's a great thing, Julia. What would be an answer you don't want that it's like, not fixable? Right. Yeah. Okay. So they're fixable. I'm telling you, like women would call me up, you know, to say to me, I have a problem with low desire or I'm having trouble with orgasms and, and 90 8% of the cases or 95% of the cases I can help them with pain. It's usually like a slam dunk. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it may take visits to a few different specialists. There are right. very, very rare cases where it's not fixable. I think that's going to be so validating. I think it's so, it's just so easy to be, to be terrified that like, you're going to be this like 1% or whatever percent that is not fixable. And I think that's everyone's, I don't say biggest fear, but I think with things that they, either think, oh, maybe it's normal and it's just me, or maybe I'm the percentage that like isn't fixable. So I think that's going to be so helpful. All right, Brenda, last question before we let Dr. Vatsheva go, you pick which one you want to do. Hmm. I know there's some good ones left, but we only have time for one. I know. Okay. Can we let Dr. Vatsheva pick if the topic? No, we'll you pick Brenda. Topic. Okay. Well, this one's different. Because I think we spot. talk a lot about 
we talk a lot about like confidence and whatnot in general on other episodes. So I feel like this one is more specific to one that only, um, only Dr. Bachala can help us with. So um, it is from a female listener and it is, I never squirted in my entire life until my last boyfriend. We're no longer together, but I want to know how he did it. I feel like I kind of know the mechanics, but I can't make it happen. How do I figure it out so that I can explain to new partners how to do it? Oh my God, that's a great question also. Okay, so squirting is such an interesting thing because some women squirt and some don't. And I have women who are like, I'm dying to learn how to squirt. I'm dying to learn how to squirt. I gotta teach me how to squirt. And then I have women who are like, I hate the squirting. It's messy, it's disgusting. It makes me feel gross. I need to stop it. Anyway, under the heading of some, you know, like some women are loose, need the orgasm to loosen and some need the orgasm to tighten. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, okay. Usually the squirting usually is a response to something called the G spot. Mm -hmm. So are you guys familiar with the G spot? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to explain it anyway, because yeah, people might not be. So, okay. So the G spot is a spot that's in the anterior part of the vagina, the top of the vagina, about an inch in it was, it was sort of identified about 70 years ago by Dr. Graffenberger, G-R-A, thus the G-spot. Okay. I didn't know that part. Interesting. <laughs> so now everybody has a G-spot. It's a, it's a sort of a spongy piece. If you put your finger in there and you do this little come hither, you'll feel like this, like, I don't know, scaly, spongy. Everybody feels a little different, but there's a spot there that feels a little different. Here's the deal. Every woman has, you know, I love this. Like, is there a G-spot? Does it exist? Everybody has a G-spot, period. End of story. I don't hear it. But- for some women, it's extremely erotic and it feels great. And for some women, it's like ho-hum, like you could be rubbing oh, my knee, right? Interesting. Like it's, that's where the fights come in. It's right. not whether the G-spot exists or not. It's whether right. or not it's like, great. Okay. So that, that G-spot happens to be right at that good intersection between the clitoris and the urethra. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, what you're squirting, there is so much debate in the literature about this. I can't even tell you. You're squirting some combination of fluid from the skein's glands, which are the glands right around there, um, um, just like vaginal fluid and urine. There's some combination coming mm-hmm, out there, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the squirting is. And it's usually 90% of the time because the G-spot is getting rubbed. Now, some guys are better at finding it with their fingers. You can't really do it with your mouth. And some guys' penises are just shaped in such a way that it rubs against your G-spot, right? So you're going to make yourself crazy if you're going to have to want your partner to get his penis to do that job. Like, it's just what you can do is you can find your, use your own finger or Mm. use your partner's finger or find a vibrator, any vibrator that, um, See, they're not on video because I was going to say any vibrator that kind of curves a little bit, I have to have a vibrator. Any vibrator that has a little curve at the end. And there's, do not spend a lot of money on a big expensive G-spot vibrator. It's ridiculous. Just get a vibrator that has a curve at the end if you want. And then you, you can tuck the curve in there and see if that does it. But usually if you're somebody who can squirt or does squirt, it happens when you're stimulating the G-spot. Mm, very interesting. And great to know that you can kind of discover that a bit for yourself with vibrators, toys, whatever it might be. So then you could communicate that to your partner. Let's say your partner's penis doesn't reach that spot exactly, but you can do that together with toys. Exactly. With his fingers or your fingers or toys or any, yeah. If if you love that feeling. And for some women, it's just this really nice feeling of a release, you know, Mm. but for some women, it feels like they're peeing, which brings us to the subject of a sex towel 
which I'm a big fan of. Brenda! Brenda is a big fan of the sex towel. When I told my friends for the first time. Wow, she feels so validated now. I feel so seen right now because when I first told my friends that we had towels for that, they looked at me like, like I was crazy. And I thought, I was like, is something, I'm like, is this weird? So thank you. This is very validated. Wow. Do you feel so validated, Brent? I really do. I hope our friends are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, wow, this is not abnormal. You know, one of like my most popular TikTok things was when I did a sex towel and I'm like, because it was like, is that news to people? Sex is messy. Oh my God. Like sex is drippy and messy and gross. And like, you want to let go, you know? So, but there's some people who like hate that squirting because it feels like they're peeing. So they hate that. So, you know, I just want, again, under the heading of normalizing everything, if you squirt, that's fine. If you don't squirt, that's fine. And you can play with your G-spot. And if you don't feel anything, there's nothing wrong with you. I promise Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this this, this listener, particularly that wrote this over, I think this is an ex-boyfriend. And I think from reading between the lines here probably is like, I liked that. Can I do it again? Because I can't figure it out. (laughs) Yes, 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 definitely. Yeah, I think that's true. You can do it again. Absolutely. Dr. Bacheva, thank you so much. This has been so incredible. Of course, we didn't get to all of our questions because there's just too much knowledge and too little time. Um, But this has been so amazing. Please let us let the listeners know where they can find you, your website, your TikToks, your Instagram um, and your book. Dr. Bacheva in, on Instagram, the Dr. Bacheva on TikTok because yes. my first one got tossed off because I was, I don't know why exactly. Anyway, the doctor, or my website, drbacheva.com. Um, you know, if you want, I do these free 10 minute consults for somebody just to figure out whether or not working with me makes sense. Amazing. Um, and you can do that. You can find that on all my you know links and bios. And um, I just really want to know that there's information out there. Like I love social media because I feel like it's an opportunity to educate so many people. So I love that you have your podcast. If you want me to come back at some point to do more questions, I'm here. And um, it's just so fun being with you guys. Thank you so much. We truly, we look forward to connecting with you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. And I will put all of those links in the show notes. Dr. Bacheva, thank you so much. This has been so informative and so much fun. We can't thank you enough. Bye everybody. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20s podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.